Welcome to Fringe Element College Football Playoff Edition here on the Full 40 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore my last name. <laughs> there you go. I uh, hope everybody had a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays, the Festivus for the rest of us, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever it is you celebrated. I hope you had a great one. Or if it's still going on, I'm not really sure. There's my ignorance showing. Um, Shit, Braden. Yeah, no, we've got, listen, we've got college football. All I care about is the college football playoff. It's here. It's on Saturday. Yes, Alabama's playing Kansas State. Yes, Iowa and Kentucky are going to put two defenses on the field at the same time. I don't know. Uh, but Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, the national championship game is at stake. Legacies are at stake. They will be made and broken on Saturday. And we are here to talk about it. Great guest, by the way. Our first non-SEC guest, really. Bill Landis, yeah. Bill Landis, who is of the podcast, of course, because he covers the Ohio State Buckeyes. Right. So all about the, the articles, those people. The podcast. So it's all things Ohio State Buckeyes. Friend of the pod, even though he covers an Ohio uh, a Big Ten team, he will give Georgia fans and SEC fans everything you need to know about the strengths and weaknesses of Ohio State, what has worked, what has not worked, what's going on with Ryan Day's offense. The matchup on the other side of the ball, which I think we're going to get to, is probably more more decisive in this game for Georgia and their defense. So we'll talk with Bill Landis uh, coming up uh, at Bill Landis 25 on Twitter. You can follow him there. Great friend of the pod. So we'll talk with him a lot about Ohio State and Georgia coming up in a few minutes. So make sure you check that out. Yep. You and I will give our final predictions at the end of the show after the interview. So we'll do that a little bit later on in the pod. We'll touch on some bowl games and we'll touch on Michigan TCU. But this is largely going to be about the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, coming up in on Saturday, New Year's Eve. Cannot wait. Cannot wait for New Year's Eve. I'm going to tell you what the family's doing. Can't yeah, I was wait about for to this. ask you what you're doing. Can't wait. We'll do that in just a second because Fringe Element is brought to you by Jay Dunn, your New Year's resolution. If you want to find a new job, tell them we sent you. And this is one of the best places to work in the country. Um, what poll is that by, Braden? What what poll? What, is that like by? they were voted like the best place to work by whom? Oh, top one hundred healthiest place to work. Uh, doesn't matter. Got it. Okay. Doesn't the, matter the, who it was. <laughs> the greatest business bureaus of all time. I thought, I thought I was leaving out like an important detail of who hosts said poll. I don't know. I don't it's, know. It, I, I believe it looked official. I don't. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to like put a name on it because as soon as you put a name on it, all of a sudden it, it, it literally it's polarized. No pun the intended. The coaches poll. The it AP the, poll. <laughs> the. Of, of all the SIDs, all the sports information directors in America voted on the top 100 healthiest place as, to work. As they do. As, as one does. And J.E. Dunn was voted by all SIDs as the top 100 healthiest place to work. Some of that's because they make $5 billion in annual revenue. They have offices all across the Southeast. And you don't really need experience in any particular construction area. You just want to, you just need to buy in to something greater than yourself. Let them buy into you. And that's how you end up winning national championships together. Just yep. like that. Just like You're that. Not wrong. JEDunn.com. Great place to work. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah, well, I'm used to it. I mean, when you have when you have as good an ad copy as you did just then, it's a great place to work. I should not have stepped all over that. That's my fault. And I should be better. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Bill Lane is coming up from the podcast, which I love that name, by the way. Dang, uh, I'm kind of jealous of that podcast yeah. name. It's the podcast. How, how early do you think in the podcast game he had to snag that? I don't think it had to be that early because, I mean, first of all, Ohio State fans, it's the Ohio State University, even though it's technically the University of Tennessee as well, I believe. Um, there's only like there's only a handful of them that actually have officially the article V attached to it. But the only ones in the country who 
you know, official like that that like emphasize it with as much douchiness as Ohio State fans do. Yes, I'm going to broadbrush all of you. Oh, they love it. Is is with is Ohio State. They're mm-hmm. they're the ones. So with that in mind, because I do think Stetson Bennett's got a lot of arrogance to his game. Um, being around him at SEC Media Days, he was still pissed off. I just I, I'm going to take this. We're going to start this show talking about Stetson Bennett because. He was still clearly like being asked questions about chip on his shoulder and being doubted and all this stuff back back in Atlanta, man, like before the season started. And I just get to thinking about like, I think he's going to make some plays. I think the biggest matchup concern, if I'm Ohio State, is actually on the on the defensive side of the ball, because I don't know who's had any answers for Georgia's offense, especially in the intermediate game. They're super creative with their tight ends and running backs. But I just like historically. Think about what Stetson Bennett's story could look like with a second national championship. This is a guy who was a walk-on who was basically told to leave school. He leaves school. He goes to the junior college. He comes back. He's told he wasn't going to start. And all he is is 20. Then he loses his starting job to JT Daniels. People, Georgia fans don't want him to be the starter. He is, I believe, 26 and three as a starter. He's won 23 of his last 24 games. The only loss was to Bryce Young in Alabama. And there are, ma- I think there are two quarterbacks that have won two national championships as a starter. Hold Tommy, on, Tommy Frazier in the. No- oh, oh, sorry, gotten, I wouldn't have gotten that one. Go ahead, Tommy. Tommy Frazier in the nineties and AJ McCarron for Alabama in twenty eleven and twenty twelve. Like Ken Dorsey at Miami almost did it, but they lost to Ohio State. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe maybe that's an ominous thing to say <laughs> when talking mm. about playing Ohio State. But I just I just want to put into perspective. That Stetson Bennett, should they finish with a ring, even if he just gets to the national championship game, because mm-hmm. Tim Tebow has two, but he didn't start one the first one in 06. That Correct. was Chris. That was Chris Leak. Like Cam Newton has just the one. Like there's a lot of great players that have a national championship. There's nobody that has two other than a couple of dudes in the history of the game. And I just want to start by saying, like, if Stetson Bennett finishes his career with another national championship and they have to beat Ohio State to do that. I think we need to take a minute to acknowledge that it is probably the wildest career in the history of college football. <laughs> I mean, I'd be I'd be hard pressed to think of a wilder one. I could try. Go for it. <laughs> I don't think so. Especially when you talk about the narrative of literally leaving, going to junior college, and the wherewithal it takes to have that much belief in yourself when you're being told from every angle, including coaching staffs of the school that you're at, that you can't do it. And you, I mean, it, that takes a different kind of human. And I know he is in a lot of ways up until now was like, you know, he doesn't have that, like, he has swag now that he's done stuff. Like he's had to, he's had to have like this air of confidence in order to be able to do what he's done. But he doesn't look like, you know, a Tim Tebow or like someone that just comes in. that's just this like physically dominant specimen. It's like, he is the Cinderella story of college football. And I can't think of one that is, uh, that is more of a Cinderella story than him. Well, and even the guys that have won all those championships, like, I mean, Tommy Frazier is one of the greatest players of all time. Tim Tebow, one of the greatest players of like physically, like to your point, physically imposing, yeah. Danny Werfel won a bunch of SEC championships and a national title, and that yeah. was Spurrier. I mean, e- even Tua like failed to accomplish some of those goals. I know he came off the bench and won one. Jalen Hurts, who's now an MVP candidate in the NFL, you know, couldn't get the job done one time, and he had multiple opportunities uh, at two different schools. It just 
I mean, I don't want if Georgia wins another championship, there's going to be a lot of people that say, or if they beat Ohio State, there's going to be a lot of people that say, well, the defense, the defense, the defense. And that doesn't, two things can be true. Like Stetson Bennett can have one of the most extraordinary careers in the history of college football. And also Georgia had a great defense. It's not like Alabama's defenses were garbage when they were winning national championships no, or, no. or Florida's defense was garbage when Tim Tebow was there. Or I, I think now technically, I guess Matt Leiner might also count at USC because he won a national title in 04 in the BCS, but he didn't technically win the BCS in 03. They had a split national title there. So maybe Matt Leiner technically counts as well. He's flirting, flirting with it. But I, he started both games, I guess. I, I just... You're right. You hit the nail on the head when you said it can be both. My therapist would be very proud of you. She tells me that all the time. It can be both. Would be of proud of things. me or would be proud of you? Well, we'd be proud of you for recognizing that it can be two things at once. I, I and, hear you, Aaron. You have been heard. Thank you, Brayden. Um, yeah, but it's, I mean, it, his stats are, I mean, what is, his stats are extremely impressive, but it's just really the, it's the resilience um, of being able to do what he did, being told no, leaving, coming back, continuing to do it, and now is maybe going to have two national championships under his belt is just, you really can't look past it. it it's I, pretty... I love I love a story like this. I really do. No, it, it is. It's truly remarkable. Now, Stetson Bennett, um, here, here's another quick comparison, because you, you talk about like CJ Stroud walks into the combine in a couple of months, win or lose against Georgia, mm -hmm. especially if he wins. But he's going right. to walk in and he's going to be 6'3", 225, and he's going to look like a top five pick. And Stetson Bennett will be, you know, in a suit and tie interviewing for an accounting job. And it'll be <laughs> it's just they're, they're just there's an every man's story there with Stetson Bennett that appeals to people. Um, being told no, overcoming adversity appeals to people, especially when it's just sort of like natural inherent adversity. I don't yeah. really get, I, I don't really get big into the like, oh, he was a heroin addict and now he's recovered. I'm happy for that person. But like, what about all the people that never got addicted to heroin? <laughs> I, I appreciate the adversity when it's like forced upon you by others, right? Like it's, it's different than self-created. Yeah. Like Cam Newton. I don't think is like some crazy adversity story. He got kicked out of Florida for stealing shit. Like, right. That, yeah, that's, that's not, you're talking about self-inflicted adversity. Although let's not discredit the, the addicts of the world. That's a pretty no, hard not thing a, to overcome. You're not, no, you're not, doing not, that. At, you're all, not at all. Not at all. It's amazing. I know, it's, say, yeah. I know what you're saying is that like he, like nothing about it was imposed by on him, by him. He yeah. just reacted to it. He just was successfully. Kept, so he, he was just told no every step of the way. Yes. And he just said, screw you guys. I'm just going to keep coming. God, and that takes a lot. And you have to do lot. that under that many uh, pairs of eyes to be able like that many no's. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like you and I have both been told no. And we're like, oh, it's interesting. <laughs> yes. I don't I actually don't agree. And but look not, at us now. We got a podcast but not by a million trillion gazillion people and every Reddit board and every, right, right, right. Uh, you know, every trolling rivals account and yeah, everything right, under the sun. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so here's some numbers comparing CJ Stroud. And, and I was eventually going to get to this point about CJ looking the part and walking in and just being the guy, right? Like, so CJ Stroud threw the football this year, 355 times. Okay. Stetson Bennett threw it 395 times. So technically. You're only <laughs> doing this year. Just this year, 2022, Georgia actually was in more of a pass-heavy offense than C.J. Stroud was in terms of the two of them. And, and now Setsa Bennett played an extra game, so roughly about, I don't think he threw the ball 40 times in that game, but about Rock the same Bowers amount. Rock Bowers helps, but yeah. Yeah, about the same amount per game. 
Uh, CJ Stroud, 3,340 yards, so 3,340 yards. Stetson Bennett had more passing yards than CJ Stroud, 3,425. 68% completion percentage for Stetson Bennett, 66 for CJ Stroud, 9.4 yards per attempt for CJ Stroud, 8.7 for Stetson Bennett. Six interceptions for both of them, even though Stetson had 40 more pass attempts. So Stetson actually technically had a better interception percentage. The only difference between the two is that touchdowns. Well, I haven't actually. I need to look at that. I actually did not pull that up. CJ Stroud has zero and Stetson Bennett has seven. Okay, so that actually helps out this this even more. CJ had 37 passing touchdowns. Stetson Bennett had 20 because when they get in the red zone. They are not as high a scoring team as Ohio State and CJ Stroud runs a more pass heavy offense. But the, the reason of all of this is to lay out that the big strapping six, four top five draft pick, his numbers are identical on a team with identical talent playing in the second biggest conference in college football at the biggest program in America, other than like, I don't know, like Texas, like there's not a statistical difference between the, the guy that we just explained was told no his entire life. And the guy who has been was the preseason Heisman Trophy front runner and right. you know gonna be a top five pick and, and they're gonna go head to head against each other. And Bill Landis is gonna say this later on as part of the, the analysis of the matchup. Stetson Bennett is the more versatile and athletic player. He likes to run the football more and your stat just backed that up. It's crazy. And we've been, you know, we're obviously all high on George's defense and have been for the past couple of years for a very uh, it, for a good for good reason, but this also says something about the system that George has created, and it's uh, that's not to downplay Setson's athleticism at all. But you have to have a system that works around you in order to be able to put up numbers like that, and you know to outdo C.J. Stroud being who he is in the system that he's in and Stetson has numbers to back that up. So that says a lot about we're yeah. high on George's defense, but it also also should say something about an offense that probably hasn't gotten, you know, as much credit as the defense has. So let's get into the matchup a little bit. I, first of all, are you more concerned if you're a Georgia fan? Like I'm not concerned about the matchup defensively. Ohio State's defense, Georgia's offense. I I don't know. I can't come up with a way that Stetson Bennett, uh, Brock Bowers, Kenny McIntosh, you know, Ladke, Washington, on and on down the list. The, that offensive line, the way they've been built, the way they've been, they've been successful this year, that they have turned the ball over a grand total of sixteen times, which is not as good as the other teams in the playoff. But I, they, this is, I I don't know how like just. From a matchup standpoint, the way Georgia's creative, the way they top 10 in the nation in yard gains of more than 20 yards, which is not like super explosive plays, but like pretty explosive plays, uh, they they will take whatever you give them. And I don't know where Ohio State wins on defense. Yeah, is my, is but my I, know first where, I know where you're going after this. I think. Well... <laughs> I, the key is, I guess, what we're saying is, is the only way Georgia wins is if it's a shootout. I mean, the only way Ohio State wins is if it's a shootout and it's a high-scoring game. I guess. Yeah, and it's how, how do you be, feel I think, about that? I think they said total points. It's like a, supposed to be like sixty-two and a half somewhere around there. It's pretty high. It's yeah, it's pretty high. How, how do you feel about Georgia's offense, Ohio State's defense? Um, I, I feel I have the same sentiment that you do. So I think there's enough weapons, and you know. Stetson's proven what he's he can do, and they have a lot of different options, you know, in terms of receiving core. But they're also being exposed to probably the best 
receivers that they have seen all year. And Georgia's secondary, if there's any, if there is any weakness in Georgia's defense, I would say it was the secondary. And they're going to be matched up against some pretty explosive receivers. So, so you just I, went, you just went right to the other matchup, is what you're saying. Or did no, I? I'm just, did no, I, but I, I told wrong. you I agreed with you about. I okay. told you I agree. <laughs> okay. Are you do, are you mad because I skipped you? No, no, no. I. I no, but I, but there's not a lot more to say than that. You're right. Like Georgia has a lot of different tools, a lot of like a lot of weapons, and they have some lots of reliability in sets and Bennett. And yes, they have turned the ball over some. So that will, especially in these very high pressure games with a lot on the line, the turnover margin is is almost always yeah, correlated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get to the like, not necessarily in the regular season because you could be you know playing God knows who and the matchup's not even, but you get down to the top four to six teams in the country, the turnover margin has a lot to do with the win loss uh, at the end of the day. So I I just had a couple of stats I want to throw out before we switch to the real matchup, which is the, the Ohio state offense and the Georgia deep. You know what? You should tell me that before we we didn't get to talk before. I wanted to surprise you, you know? Okay. Well, you can surprise me another way. How about this? Number one, (laughs) number one in America. In red zone trips allowed on defense, meaning. Number, hold on, wait. Let me process that. Number one in yep. America in red zone trips fewest. allowed on fewest. So the fewest okay. allowed trips into the red zone on defense, meaning you got never get it. you never get close to the end zone. Yeah. Ohio State number one in America. Twenty three times, only twenty three times have they allowed anybody to get into the red zone. Now, Damn. Michigan scored like four times from like midfield. So, so like they had like four or five, a huge, massive, like 50 plus yard touchdowns. So that, 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 that's tweaked there a little bit, but, but the point is, is that Ohio state good against the run and they did not allow people to drive the length of the field and finish drives in the red zone. That's, that's a piece that you could pay attention to. If you're a Georgia fan, that's For all sure. just so, throwing that stat out there. So I don't actually think I, I didn't actually get to watch a Michigan Ohio State game, but did those? I mean, obviously that has to come from like large receiving plays. The first right? one, they the running fir- the, the ball all the, the way first from ones midfield? were. God, I can't even believe you didn't watch Ohio State Michigan. The first one, I didn't ones, get to. I had a, I had a video shoot that day. The first three, two or three, I think there was two long touchdown passes in the like second quarter, third quarter, mm-hmm. and then because Ohio State had to, and this is what I'm curious about with with Georgia the matchup. If Ohio State sells out to stop the run, which is what they did to Michigan, Michigan torched them over the top. And then when they adjusted, right. that's when Don that's when Donovan Edwards, who's the backup running back for um for Michigan, hit them with like two 70 yard runs in the fourth quarter. So it was like it was it was literally like four fifty plus yard touchdowns in that game. It doesn't take away from the fact that for for eleven other games, Ohio State simply does not let you work the length of the field. And what Georgia likes to do it's really impressive is to they they love that like like eight to eight eight to eighteen like that intermediate over the middle passing game where they can be creative yeah. with Bowers. Yeah, I know. It, like u- utilizing their tight ends and it's like a little bit different than you know throwing the ball fifty yards. I I am curious to see how much. And again, this all goes right back to Stetson Bennett. Like I'm so curious to to see how much Jim Knowles, the Ohio State defensive coordinator, does what he does to to set up the their rushing defensive fronts pre-snap i want to know what does it look like so that stetson then has to make the decision and yeah i i i don't know why like like why at this point should anybody doubt stetson bennett 
this point, you're just doing it because you want to. We've done it's it not, for two and a half years, not and all he's real. We've done it for two and a half years, and all he does is prove us wrong every time. Yeah, I mean, like twenty twenty three allowances, allowing people into the red zone twenty three times over the course of an entire season is like an asinine stat. That's, That's crazy. It's, le- it's less than two per game. Now Georgia, to be fair, Georgia twenty eight, number five in the nation. Another good defense, Georgia. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but we've been talking about just the impeccable nature of Georgia's defense for a couple of years now. So it's that's it's less surprising. Right. It's it's surprising that Ohio State has them in that stat by five. Uh, at 23 is absurd because Georgia last year was like, uh, in fact, if you give me a second here, I could probably pull it up. But Georgia last year, I, I, I don't know why I'm obsessed with that number. I really love tracking like red zone trips for the opponent because I do feel like that's a, a really good number. Like how many times are teams getting the football into scoring territory? Well, um, it also, but because it, it's also a predictor of like people having to do like there's more risk when you can't get into the red zone or you can't, you know, run the ball into the end zone or you can't make those short kind of passing like passes to your tight ends. Like we're talking about, you have to like play a lot gutsier, which leaves a lot more room for turnovers and you just have to right. play riskier football. I mean, it, it's a, yeah, it yeah. is a very telling stat. I don't think people talk about it that much, but you know, you have, you have to play a completely different game when you can't get that close to the, to the yep. end zone. Georgia gave up 32 last year, but that was in, 15 games they've given up 28 this year through 13 games so two more potential games coming for georgia uh potentially here normal like uh like what leads the nation each year like or or, no like give me like the number 50 like whoever's in 15 the 15 spot like how many do they have this this year in 2022 um boise state was number 16 with 35 trips allowed into the red zone okay like so like it goes high either yeah, but 35 and 23, that's a huge difference. You're like, right, because it, yeah, it's it's a third. Uh let's go to let's go to the bottom just for fun here. <laughs> Don't say Vanderbilt. Get out let's of here. Let's find oh, here we go. Uh this, well the, the lowest rated SEC team trips I, into the You would just go to the lowest rated team. <laughs> it's not Vanderbilt. Settle down. Vanderbilt. I don't even I don't even see Vanderbilt on this list. Hey. Number 120 in the nation, 14th in the SEC. Having given up 56 trips into the red zone this year, your oh my Florida Gators. <laughs> Got it. Hate uh, that for him. I'm looking at Vanderbilt. I'm trying to find Tennessee with 48. This is again just so that people get a feel for it. South yeah, but Carolina that also tells you about how much Tennessee scored. Because... Yep, South Carolina 49 times. Arkansas 48 trips into the red zone allowed. Um, Auburn 46 trips into the red zone allowed. So I'll just, that's just some, that's just Vanderbilt. There you go. Uh, 45. So Vanderbilt was better, fewer trips, but the point is they're all between like 40 and 60. Yeah. Ohio state's at 20. Ohio state's at 23. (laughs) Yeah. That's wild. It's nuts. Uh, Georgia is just as good at 28. How about here's a couple other random ones that mean absolutely nothing. Okay. Uh, it is the first time ever that Ohio state has played a football game in the state of Georgia. Really? Can you believe that? <laughs> no. Uh, that it's, only the, it's only the second meeting between Georgia and Ohio State. That was, uh, of course, the 1992 Citrus Bowl. Um, only one time ever have Georgia and Ohio State played, which seems so odd to me considering the power of the two programs. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I'm curious about it's the third time that Georgia will have played in this building this year, which is also kind of nuts, right? Because they played Oregon. God, it helps. So tell me, talk, talk me through why that would be so helpful for them. It's just like, like you hear the phrase just loosely, like act like you've been here, you know, act like you've been there or, you know, how much it helps to have actually been in a situation. It's just, it's a familiarity with, I think the sound is one of the biggest things is just knowing what it sounds like and something that you cannot, not able to be simulated until game day. You can try, you can put sirens on your practice field, like, you know, have, you know, Gamecocks crowing on your practice field, but it just, nothing's the same. I'd say the sound, it's just like the comfortability and having walked into the stadium before, you know, where people are going to be standing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. great coaches. Like we always, we talk a lot about baseball cause you and I are both huge college baseball fans, but I mean, Corbin is someone who, you know, you get to the college world series, it's Vanderbilt's baseball coach, get to the college world series. You walk the stadium, you know, exactly where you're going, you know, exactly where you're going to set your bags. Like it's just, it's able to relieve anxiety that players don't even know is there. And then you just walk in and play. So there's going to be angst because you're going to have a million trillion people watching you, but there's a lot of the mystery factor is just eliminated and you can't. You can't put a number on that and you it's not tangible but it's real. Yeah, the sooner you make it a real the sooner you make it about a, it just being a football game. The easier yeah, off get it. everything else out just, of your just head. Just make it yeah. a football game. Just make it about blocking and tackling and then that's right. and, and that's it. Um so if you, the, the other matchup of course is the most interesting one and, it, and it's the one we've all kind of been waiting for all season since the summer when we when when I've been asked I don't know when you've been asked but people are like hey who do you think's got what it takes to challenge Georgia's defense? The answer has always been Ohio State. It's always been Ohio State. And I, I will say this. The Alabama game, the way Bryce Young in the national cha- or, uh, in the SEC championship game last year, when they started slinging it all around and Georgia looked kind of cautious, they weren't coming after them. Mm-hmm. That is That does seem to be how you can attack them. Missouri went down the field and attacked them into space. And certainly Ohio State wants to be aggressive and dynamic and go down the field. They've got elite weapons. Jackson Smith and Jigma is not going to play, but they've got elite weapons with Marvin Harrison Jr. They've got a tight end. I get to get to know the name uh, Kate Stover. He's a really good player. The offensive line is excellent for Ohio State. They're very good. Um, but the best passing teams that Georgia faced this year, you could argue were, were who? Uh, Tennessee, mm-hmm. Mississippi State. Um, who else? I mean, they they shut down Tennessee's passing attack with a bunch of weapons and a star quarterback. They yeah. they shut down Will Rogers and Mississippi State's passing attack uh, with with you know a, a great Mike Leach offense. Like the, Georgia has also mm-hmm. shut down some big time passing offenses this year as well. Yeah, it's not. I mean, that that's basically it. I, you named most of them. Or, right? or Oregon and Bo Nix was totally. I was going to say Oregon's the only other one that's even yeah. like close. But then you've got, I mean, you've got Kentucky, you've got, yeah, Vanderbilt. No, that's it. Oregon no. would be the only one we would have to add to that short list. I mean, Spencer Rattler wasn't Spencer Rattler when they played him. True. Um, so it's, it, I, I think Ohio State is uniquely qualified to attack their defense down the field. The question is, can they win one on one point of attack? Georgia wants to play two high safeties. They want to get pressure with four or five guys, maybe six. And if they can protect CJ Stroud and, and Bill Landis is going to talk about this. Like generally when you drop into coverage against CJ Stroud, it allows, it forces him to get a little bit more impatient because he wants to be aggressive. He wants to go down the field. So I, 
it's it's going to be interesting to watch the Ryan Day Kirby Smart chess match because I think Georgia can win the one on one battles in the front seven, but Keely Ringo versus Harrison, I think Harrison can win that battle plenty of times. Yeah, no, I mean that's it. You bring, I mean that 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 in particular, like being able to put pressure on him just to make him make a decision that's slightly more impulsive than he would normally have to is, you know kind of the approach, but will they be able to do that? I don't know. I mean, this is, this is exactly the matchup Georgia didn't want. And, um, yeah. you know, you made that point at, 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 you know, I think a lot of people know that it's kind of fact that Georgia would rather have had somebody else in game one. Um, but if Georgia can get through game one, I think, I think it'll be over. Well, well, see, that's, that that's, might be a hot take because I, but I, I just do. Ooh. I just think the momentum will be there. And I'm not saying that for like good reason that TCU or Michigan, I mean, I obviously think Michigan would be, you know, a more challenging matchup for Georgia than TCU would. But I think that Georgia, for all the reasons we named and having just been here, it's a repeat situation. If they can get through this Ohio State game, which I do think is going to be extremely challenging, I think the odds of them taking it all are, are pretty good. I do think that Georgia has a clear advantage when they are on when they are on offense. Actually, I think when Georgia's on offense, they've got a clear advantage. That front seven for Ohio State's good, you know Harrison and Eckenberg, and like they've got a lot of dudes on that front seven. But I think Georgia actually, when they get them moving side to side and they get you out in space, I think Georgia's got a lot more stuff bags. Yeah, I got they got a lot more tricks in their bag than I think people realize. Uh, on the other side. For Ohio State to even have a chance, they have to play even football on offense with Georgia's defense. And no one has been able to play even with Georgia's defense for two years, three years now. Yeah. Uh, Alabama one time, right? Mm -hmm. Alabama yep. once last year. And that's it. And that's about it. So um, it's I. how about this? We'll give you our final picks and our final predictions and our scores and our picks against the spread. And we'll break down the Michigan TCU game. How about we do all that? after we listen to Bill. What do you think? That sounds good. All right. So before we get to Bill, Fringe Element is brought to you by... J.E. Dunn. You going to do it this time? J.E. Dunn. J.E. Dunn, the two-time national champion of construction in, in this... I want to say... I was about to say the state of Tennessee. But I think it's bigger than that. In, this, in the SEC, in, in the Southeast, and in the whole country, nay, the universe. If you've looked at their... Um... That was terrible, their, by the way. Yeah, not our best. Not if good. you had looked at the open positions, you would know it's much larger than Tennessee, Braden. In fact, I rattled off about 14 premier locations last week on the pod, including, but not limited to, Charleston, Austin, <laughs> Kansas City, Nashville, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, that was a pretty bad job by me. Uh, Setson Bennett will do a much better job against Ohio State's defense than I just did trying to promote J.E. Dunn, our title sponsor and wonderful and amazing partner here on Fringe Element. JEDunn.com is the website. The, J.E. Dunn, the, unlike Braden actually getting things done in the red zone. Yeah. <laughs> when it counts, J.E. The, 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 the creative nature with which Georgia plays offense is as creative uh, as a cool a place as the J.E. Dunn office. God, this is Are getting worse. Are you making worse. a damn? worse. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a transitive property this. moment? You're like, Get me out J. of J.E. Dunn is to the workforce what? You tried to do like a if this, then that. Oh No, I was just, I was thinking about how awesome the offices are at J.E. Dunn and how awesome and creative the offense is. For Georgia, and I think it was the words offices didn't come out correctly. Offense, that, that's what it got you. Offices and offense yeah. just messed you yeah. up. 
Yeah. But I, I, I hear you. I was the quarterback. I was the quarterback who's the backup who gets put in for just a couple of packages each game trying to run a zone read. And I fumbled the ball on the ground. Like that's, that's what that was. Well, we'll I was the Justin Fields you, to, to your Jake Fromm. That's what this was. That was now that is a good comparison. <laughs> just look, just tell me to stay in college football world and I'm fine. Just <laughs> throw it. Just toss it to Bill. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, go to jdunn.com. <laughs> it's an amazing freaking company to work for. You will not be disappointed. It's a great place. jdunn.com. For the love of God, here is the podcast host, Bill Landis, talking Ohio State. Mercifully. Bill, welcome to the show, man. Great to see you. How are you, sir? Doing very well. How are you? Man, playoff playoff football is here in, in the college world, and I'm ready for it. And we're going to dive into the games. We'll talk about Ryan Day and, and the future and everything. But really, I want to I'm going to focus on the matchup between Georgia and Ohio State because l- let's be very clear. Like for most of the the, the, the season, even maybe the preseason, the thing we all kind of wanted to see was Ohio State's offense and Georgia's defense. It, it's not mm-hmm. showing up in exactly the way we thought. But it is still here. Do you think Ohio State's talent is are they the only team in America from a talent perspective that can match up with Georgia's defense player for player? Yeah, probably. I mean, if you look at the recruiting rankings that you you throw Alabama in there too, but but Ohio State has better receivers than Alabama. And and it's probably uh while while different at quarterback, I would say probably just as good or close to as good as Alabama at quarterback. So if you were if you were to design a team that you think to yourself like, okay, how do we beat Georgia? And it's not to say that Ohio State is guaranteed to beat Georgia, but I think it would look a lot like what Ohio State does well. Um, the, the teams that I think have found success against Georgia this year, the, the, the few that have and, and the, the little bit that it has happened, um, have been teams that can throw the ball um, in a dynamic and explosive way. And, and that is what Ohio State does. It's what Ohio State has done really uh, ever since Ryan Day has taken over as head coach. Well, so that brings brings two questions up. One is how healthy are all the pieces around CJ Stroud? Because that was sort of an on-off issue that they dealt with throughout the course of the season. So I'll let you answer that one first. But the follow-up is then, of course, w- what are the things that slowed them down, whether it's Notre Dame, whether it's the weather against North- Northwestern, whether it was Iowa. I mean, certainly Michigan, how the game played out was a part of that game control. So start with health. And then what worked against them this season? Yeah, from a health standpoint, I think they're they're pretty good. Obviously, they don't have Jackson Smith and Jigba, but they have not had him for the entire year, which I think might explain the the latter part that we'll get to in, in a second. But with the guys that they've had for most the, the majority of the season, Marvin Harrison Jr., he's fine. Emeka Ibuka, I think, was was dealing with um, some like bumps and bruises here or there that might have hindered him at times throughout the year. But I think he's feeling healthy. Um, the offensive line should be in, in decent shape. There's there's one questionable guy there, the right guard, Matthew Jones, who got hurt against Maryland, um, did not play against Michigan, but it sounds like he's been practicing and should be good to go uh, against Georgia. Um, tight ends are healthy. Uh, running back will be missing Travion Henderson, but as long as they have Mayan Williams available, and, and they should, um, I think they'll be okay there. And, and obviously, C.J. Stroud ha- has been fine from a health standpoint for, for the majority of the season. So um, it'll be... It's not it's not the Ohio State offense I think that everyone envisioned coming into this year because Jackson was such a big part of that um but it is by and large the offense that Ohio State has had for this entire season which is to say still a pretty good one. Now what what got them in trouble at times this year? I I think there were 
you know, if you look at the Notre Dame game, they they came into that game with a bunch of stuff for Jackson and lost him almost immediately and right. kind of had to find their way through the wilderness without him in that game. Ended up not scoring a whole whole lot of points and and, and still won. But what I think what what have would have happened, what might have happened for the offense, excuse me, is that it was never really clear on what Jackson's injury was or how long it might last. He tried to come back a couple of times and never really worked out. But I think there was always this idea of like, okay, let's just get to when Jackson is healthy and we'll be back to ourselves. And I think that might have held the offense back just a little bit, not, not a ton. I mean, they, you know, they, they knew there were going to be weeks in there where they weren't going to have him, but I think there was always this eye on the future. where like, okay, once we get him back, we're going to be ourselves. And that never really came to fruition for the offense. And therefore I, I don't know if they ever truly, deviated from what they had hoped to be coming into the season and were just trying to kind of patch things together a little bit along the way with hopes that they would get him back. So so that was a big part of it. Um, running back health was a part of it. Uh, Mayan Williams missed a handful of games. Trevion Henderson missed a handful of games. Um, the offensive line was was pretty consistent, but if you include Jackson and you include the running backs, there were there were injuries at key positions that I think just never really allowed the offense to be whole or, or at least um, – move on from it in a way where they could kind of tailor the plan around who they actually did have available. Um, and and that got them in, into some binds sometimes, but then, you know, they just also just didn't play very well against Michigan. Like they just didn't, they just didn't execute right. in that game. The, the plan was, was probably fine, but they had like too many drops, too many missed assignments. So um, it's, it's been a, a, a mixed bag. I think of things, there's not really one thing that, that has kept Ohio state's offense in check when, when that has happened a little bit that it has. Um, and Brian, Ryan day would probably tell you that, it mostly comes back to them executing and sort of playing their brand of football, which when they're firing on all cylinders is is something to behold. It, it, yeah, yeah no, there's no question, especially if you're going to go man to man, which we know Kirby Smart and Georgia, mm-hmm. they, they like to do. Um, is it safe to say, and maybe this is oversimplifying it because it just felt like it was the Notre Dame game maybe, but they, if, you, if you're dropping a bunch of dudes and you're letting him face a bunch of zone complicated coverages where they're disguising stuff, like as soon as Notre Dame went to man coverage and started blitzing him, that's when he opened up the game in the fourth quarter. Is it is it that simple that if Georgia again, Georgia's got three defensive coordinators, basically like are, are they and they're all going to be on the field? Is it as simple as winning one on one battles, whether it's, you know, uh, Harrison versus Ringo, whether it's Jalen Carter versus a double team? Like, is it just as simple as beat your man or is there a scheme that you think is really effective at slowing down C.J. Stroud? Um, I think what I think CJ is, I even hesitate to call it a problem because he's so good, but when, when he does encounter issues, it's, it's when teams, I think do drop into zone kind of cloud that picture for him. Cause he still wants to throw the ball down the field. And, and I think that the right. one criticism that people have levied against him this year, whether that's Ohio state fans or people who talk about him for the, for the next level in the NFL draft is there's a little bit of a lack of, of playmaking when, things start to get out of structure a little bit. And, and you know, I'm actually working on something right now about that. And there's plenty of Ohio State fans and, and people who follow them on Twitter who will tweet screenshots every week of look at this eight-yard patch of grass that CJ could have run into yeah. to keep the 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 drive on schedule. And instead, he, he forced the ball into double coverage down the field because he trusts his arm and his receivers that much to try to make those plays. So um, I don't know if it's one scheme per se, but, but I do think CJ and Ryan Day – at times have a tendency to be a bit impatient and um, will will try to force the issue and and not necessarily take what defenses are giving them, um, which is oftentimes 
like that underneath stuff that Ohio State just doesn't have much interest in. So um, I think they do need to have interest in it in this game. I do think CJ needs to be a little bit more of a playmaker in this game than he has been in the past. But um, yeah, if you're going to line up a man-to-man coverage, and I know Georgia's DBs are really good, um, I'll I'll take Marvin Harrison probably 10 times out of 10 against anybody in man coverage. And and Emeka Ibuka is pretty good in his own right. Um, But if you can kind of test CJ's willingness to want to extend plays or, or use his feet a little bit to kind of as a weapon, then, then I think you can find some success against Ohio State's offense. Would you would you classify throwing the ball on like third and two inside the 10-yard line against Maryland as a frustrating uh, moment in time for, for Ohio State yeah, fans? <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's been like one of the common themes this year is not trusting the run game. And, and listen, like there's been points in this year where they've not really done much to to earn that trust the short yardage running in particular has not been very good for ohio state this year um but i think part of that is it was such a talking point coming out of last year when they lost to michigan and michigan like ran the ball down their throats and everyone said ohio state was soft and and couldn't match a physical team well ryan day said well watch us come out and play with three tight ends and we're going to line up and play power football too. And it just doesn't suit their personnel. So um, I think that the best they've looked running the ball is when they play with three receivers and they spread it out and they do more like shotgun running stuff. And they, they had some success doing that against Michigan. They probably could have stuck with it more than they did, but then that game kind of, kind of got away from them. But uh, yeah, the, the short yardage uh, rushing uh, the, both the execution of it and then, uh, Ryan Day's sort of eroding trust in it when you yeah. think he should use it um, have two, been two major issues for them this year. So here, I guess this is a really hard question to answer, and and this is why we have you on here, because it, it feels like like if you're the head coach at Ohio State, you are judged against Michigan and in national championship situations. Like, that's it. You're mm-hmm. not really you're not judged against Northwestern. You're not judged against Wisconsin. You're judged against Michigan and winning the national championship. And yeah, they get to the national title with Ryan Day, of course. And the guy's only lost like twice, literally in conference. So it's not like the, I I think the conversation around Ryan Day is a little ahead of schedule here. But that being said, they weren't competitive against Alabama in 2020. They haven't been competitive in back-to-back games against Michigan. This is now a game in which, you know, tr- conventional wisdom has Georgia winning. But I, I think it's going to be a much better game than people think. What, I guess my question is... Where has Ryan Day made the difference? Because you already alluded to they mm-hmm. like spreading it out. They're comfortable in that situation. Georgia, Missouri did this to Georgia. Alabama did it to Georgia last year in the SEC title game. When you go down the field and you make them play in space, that's where Georgia gets a little bit. You know, you can t- take away all that strength in the front seven away from them to some degree. What what is it that Ryan Day brings that is just Ryan Day that makes does that does that make sense? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Like CJ Stroud's great, Harrison's great. We know all these pieces. What is it that Ryan Day is doing that makes the difference in a potential win for Ohio State against Georgia? Well, he like like bigger picture, he's he's revolutionized their passing attack in in, in a major way. Like and, and everyone talks about how Ohio State like never had NFL quarterbacks. And and I know maybe that jury's still out on some of the guys that Ryan Day has put into the league, but Ohio State all of a sudden went from having no draft success with quarterbacks whatsoever to speak of to now having like a there every guy that comes out of here is a first round pick and that's going to continue for Ryan Day. So like he's he's drastically improved the passing from the quarterback position and then this passing offense in general he he sort of brought that more into the modern era because Ohio State um and Urban Meyer's passing game was not particularly sophisticated. Um but in the biggest games under Ryan Day that's not really translated. Um if yeah. you like were if you were to run run through all of his biggest games like starting in 2019 like they played pretty well in the semifinal against Clemson kind of shot themselves in the foot a little bit in that game um but I think you can make the argument that they played better for the entirety of the game that Clemson did they just lost um 
2020, they they really put it on Clemson. That that was Ryan Day's yeah. best coaching performance to date, and that was fueled by the motivation of losing the year before, feeling feeling like they had let something slip away, and like he had been seething to get a shot at Brett Venables again. And when he got it, <laughs> he didn't he didn't miss. Um, and that was that was the best game I think they've played under him to to date. But then it just didn't carry over to that game against Alabama, like you said. The following year, they lose to, to Oregon. They lose to Michigan. Um, this year, obviously, they lose to Michigan again. Like they, they beat Notre Dame, and they get credit for that. That's a big game, but um, he's he's lost more often than he's won in these major major games. And um, I don't I don't know why that is. I, th- I think over time, I think there's a sense that maybe he's kind of lost the feel a little bit as a play caller, or or I more think it's it's more along the lines of there's so much on a head coach's plate in college football now that it's hard to be the play caller yeah, and, and dedicate dedicate the time that's necessary to make sure you have the right plan and you're seeing the right things on going on in the game. It's why it's, people always kind of bring it up with Ryan Day. It's like, I think the last head coach to win a national title as the primary offensive play caller was Jimbo Fisher, um, just as it doesn't happen very often. So That seems to be going swimmingly in, in Texas. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's a guy you want to be compared to at the moment. <laughs> um, so, uh, there's a lot there, but, but I think that, that Ryan day, there's been a tangible impact on Ohio state's offense and, and the way that they operate and throw the football specifically. Um, but it's not shown up when they've kind of needed it the most. And like, it has to show up in this game that that is how you beat Georgia. If it does not show up against Georgia, then I don't think Ohio state has any shot at winning this game. I, I think that's, that's where I wanted to kind of take this is the other side of the ball, because for us to even have a conversation about this being a close game, you have to sort of assume that it's a wash when Ohio State's got the ball and Georgia's on defense, that it's evenly matched somehow through 60 minutes, that they kind of both win matchups, mm-hmm. you know, on and off throughout the whole course of the game. The real, I, I think the real, if you assume that, then it's a good game. But on the other side, you talked about CJ Stroud not taking advantage of, of sort of the space. Well, Georgia has been incredibly creative. Stetson Bennett loves running the football when the play breaks down. He's way more athletic than people think. They're going to run two, three tight end sets. They got multiple backs. Like they do a bunch of weird stuff. How yep. how, how has this because and, and the Ohio State defense was the issue two years ago. It still was an issue against Michigan. They had receivers running wide open. The run fits were good for most of that game, but then it kind of broke down in the second half. Are we assuming the offense can score and can play evenly with Georgia's defense? Where are we concerned on Ohio State's defensive side of the ball against Georgia's offense? Um, mostly when like when it comes to big plays, I think that that's sort of been the the mo for Ohio State's defense this year. They they've been pretty good against the run, and I guess like the overall numbers against Michigan probably don't reflect that. But that was like two really long runs at the end of the game. Otherwise, I thought they did a pretty good job of of keeping that rushing attack yeah. in check. Now now it all counts, right? You know they gave up those big runs that that counts against their their ledger as well. Um, but I do think this is a pretty good run defense. The 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 problem at times is they have to divert so many resources to make sure that they're a good running defense that they leave themselves vulnerable on the back end, which is where you saw Michigan hit a lot of those big pass plays uh, on November 26th when they beat Ohio state. And and Georgia certainly is capable of, of doing that. I think, I think most of Stetson Bennett's passing attempts come off of play action. So they probably welcome that. Um, so that's what, that's what scares me in this matchup a little bit for Ohio state is they, they're, their safety play has been pretty good at times, certainly bad at others. And the Michigan game is the best example of that. Their corner play has been very inconsistent. And there's just not um, really a long list of difference makers on the back end of the defense that I think you can trust to kind of hold up in one-on-one situations, especially when they're trying to contend with guys like Brock Bowers and, and Darnell Washington. Like they're just freaks. I don't I don't know how you do that. I don't think anybody can do that. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a kind of a pick your poison, I think, for for Jim Knowles. Like, does he 
Now, Georgia doesn't run the ball quite the same way as Michigan does, but but they are effective. But does he want to divert resources to that the same way he did against Michigan and leave his guys on islands? Or does he want to maybe play back a little bit and try to keep everything in front of them and hope they can tackle well enough to keep Georgia out of the end zone? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but I think the fact that you know you have to choose one or the other and Georgia seems more than capable of beating you the opposite of whichever way you choose, I think spells yeah. problems for Ohio State's defense, which is why like I thought really since this matchup came out that this is probably going to be a shootout with, with both teams approaching 40 points. Um, most of that, I think, is on Ohio State's offense and how they can perform because I don't really – doubt that Georgia's going to be able to perform against Ohio State's defense. Yeah, it's it's it it <laughs> Georgia's good is what we're getting at. Yeah, here. they're really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Georgia's really good. Um uh just real quickly, I I think I'm I'm you know, I'm here in Nashville, Mike Vrabel, there's lots of talk about him in Ohio State. I don't think he's getting fired anytime soon. I think it's way early for Ryan Day to even have these conversations, but like I already said, when you're the head coach at Ohio State, these are the games you are measured by. This is your job at Ohio State is to win these games. What happens if they get blown out and and it's 41-17 and you know we're we're going into another season where that's basically four consecutive championship situations where they they have quote unquote failed to live up to Ohio State expectations. What any what what happens in the offseason with Ohio State? Uh, I think it gets pretty uncomfortable. Uh, um, I don't think anything drastic would happen. Right, Ryan Day just signed a contract extension last year. Um, Gene Smith, the athletic director, I think thinks very highly of of Ryan Day. Um, they just brought in Jim Knowles as defensive coordinator last year. Like they're gonna they're gonna give him time to kind of build that, even if it looks ugly again against Georgia. Um, there'll be hard questions probably about like play calling and staff structure and all that stuff, but. Um, I don't think any of that leads to to Ohio State making any kind of change with Ryan Day. Now, does that change the tenor of next year when they they play Notre Dame again and they and they they have to beat Michigan next year? Mm-hmm. Probably. But the, the thing that makes it difficult, because as you mentioned, like you're expected to beat Michigan as, when you're the Ohio State head coach. But we're are we are quickly approaching an era in college football where the result of that game will not factor. It, it didn't even factor into this year. They can still play for yeah. a national title yeah. even though they lost to Michigan. So like how much does that game end up factoring into those kind of decisions in a world where there's an expanded playoff and you're probably going to get in there anyway? I don't, I don't know the answer to what, that, but what, what happened, what happens if they beat Georgia and lose to Michigan in the national championship game? Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've tried, I've tried not to think of that because I, I, you know, I, I like to take care of my own mental health and I can't imagine <laughs> what the Ohio state fan base will be like uh, as we try to talk, talk them through uh, that, that scenario. So wow. uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, I'm not, I, I think Ryan day at some point would like to coach in the NFL. Um, maybe all the change in college football makes that urge even greater. But yeah. um, kind of regardless of what happens here over the next couple of weeks, um, I, I don't envision Ohio State, you know, even entertaining the idea of making a change of head coach. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But man, the first outright Big Ten national championship not named Ohio State since like the 60s. That'd be a, that'd yeah. be a big that'd be a big one. Uh, thank you so much, man, for hanging out with us. We really do appreciate it, Bill. Take a good have a good one. Enjoy the weekend and, and we'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you, man. Sounds good. Thank you. That was Bill Landis of the podcast covering the Ohio State University and lots of questions about Ryan Day, the, the big play game, the big play moments in Ryan Day's career, they have not been good. This is another reason why, I guess, if we're going to get right into our predictions, why I, I, I assume, and it's not because we're hosting an SEC podcast, but I am, I think Georgia, I think they're too good. I think they're on a mission. I think they're too creative on offense. I think they're they're going to win every one-on-one battle. 
along the line of scrimmage. I think Stroud's going to score some points. I think they're going to connect on a few. I would take the over, um, but this to me is like 40. What's, what is it? Six and a half. The, the total, like the, the point spread is like six and a half. I would lay, I've got money on Georgia minus six and a half. So I would lay the six and a half. I think this is like 45, yeah. 28. I think so, it'll be within 10. Okay. I think it'll be a 10 point game. But so you're picking I'd still Georgia, take Georgia on the over. Yeah. It, to me, it's just, I don't trust Ryan Day in big games. I totally trust Kirby Smart and Stetson Bennett. I, I, I trust to your point, and we're going to get to this with Michigan real fast, but like I appreciate the experience of being there in Ohio State. In every big moment the last few years, they have failed miserably. So I, I just think that there's a comfort a comfort fa- factor here with Georgia. And frankly, I don't think Ohio State can stop them. I, I don't think they can stop them. Well, and also on, just – sorry, did you finish your thought? I was just going to say, on, I want to make sure I'm clear. On defense, I don't think – as I said all, all game or all show, I don't think Ohio State can stop Georgia Georgia's offense. I know that's, I'm being crazy here, but – no, no, you're not. You're well. You are insane, but you're not being that right now. Um, you, I, I do think too. Like thinking about Ohio State offensively, you know, if we if we are playing devil's advocate and just like thinking about all sides of this, um, Ohio State definitely does best when they are not playing a one dimensional game when they're able to throw the ball and get the ball moving on the ground. And I do think that Georgia is going to pose some issues for them in terms of being able to do both. Um, So the predictability factor, like if Ohio state can, you know, keep mixing it up and keep from falling into those predictable patterns, but with Georgia, they kind of force you to just, they force you to in a lot, in a lot of situations. So, like we'll Georgia, Georgia on offense is totally fine doing whatever it is you want them to do, as Bill kind of said. Uh, on defense, Tennessee to me is the most apt comparison. A star, mm-hmm. a star quarterback who, with a bunch of good receivers Agreed. that this also wants comparison. to also wants to run the football and also wants to take shots down the field. The difference is, is Hendon Hooker is has been more athletic and more accurate this year. And, and and they they like to split their guys out a little bit wider, but like again, the level of talent at wide receiver, Tennessee versus Ohio State, it's not all that different. Yeah, I I just I, I'm not sure I trust Ryan Day. I totally trust Kirby Smart. I I think Marvin Harrison's going to make a few plays. I he is going to make a few plays. I think they hit their tight end a couple of times. I think C.J. Stroud early makes a couple of plays. But like even if they get up early, 21-14, 21-10, like. I don't think Ohio State defensively can stop Georgia for 60 minutes. And I think eventually Georgia's going to get their 40 points and eventually Georgia's defense gets some stops. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm being a homer. I'm not trying to be. I just can't. Ohio State has not. Bill said I mean, it. I Ohio, don't think you are. They. I mean, they. Ohio State hasn't shown us it. this. They haven't shown us the killer instinct at any point and this year. Georgia just did. Right. So that's not crazy. Um, I'll, trust, you know, I'll tell you when you're being crazy. I, I know. Have no you problem will. doing it. I know you're right. Um, brought to you by Jay Dunn. Um, this diagnosis brought to you by Jay Dunn. Uh, JayDunn.com. Uh, Georgia would be a 16 and a half point favorite over TCU right now, according to Vegas. They'd be an eight and a half point favorite over Michigan. I do think next week, if we are talking about a Michigan Georgia matchup, I'm going to be a lot more bullish on the Wolverines than you will be. Uh, but, but TCU, any chance? Any chance? I know, I know our guest Bill told me he likes TCU in that game. In the Michigan game, Michigan TCU. Who's Georgia playing in the national title game? What's the spread week? on this game? Uh, it's about it, it. It started about nine and a half. It dropped to about seven or eight. Michigan. So it's like seven and a half. I think it hasn't really moved a lot in in a while. So, um, I think TCU has overcome a lot this year. So I have a hard time 
I have a hard time ruling out a team that's done what they did this year. And especially sometimes teams freak out when they get somewhere that they've never been. And sometimes teens just totally lean into it because they're like, we don't know when this is going to happen Use again. It. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's really, it's extremely hard to predict. And, you know, I do operate on intangibles a lot, although I, I you know, I'll follow, you know, you have to pay attention to stats because that's kind of what it is. It's a numbers game, but it's, there are a lot of factors that go into it that are not just numerically based. Um, I will say what what concerns me about TCU is being able, exact opposite of Ohio State, who's not even letting teams into the red zone. Yeah, TCU is yeah. doing that. Yeah. And they're also uh, letting opponents score almost 85% of the time they do get to the red zone. And that's that's pretty high. So I think with a team that's as strong as Michigan and you get, there's only seven times, I think it's seven times this year that TCU had a team get to the red zone. And they didn't score, um, which I, I know, wow. you know, it, it's not a great stat. So when you're up against an opponent like Michigan and you, you can't, you can't keep things from, you can't let teams close that much and score that yeah. much in that position. So that's, I think if they can keep them out of that position, you know, Maybe they've got a shot, but that's yeah. that's the number one thing that I think kind of concerns me for TCU. I, I saw some interesting numbers. I thought this was interesting. Um, Michigan, number two in the nation, only seven turnovers the entire season, seven giveaways. Damn. They do not turn the ball over. TCU, only 10 turnovers the entire season. Ohio State, only 10, also important to worth worth noting. So, but, but But not one of these teams is ranked in the top. So TCU is 49th in takeaways. So none of these teams turn the ball over. Uh, to be expected, but none of these teams take the ball away, which I thought was a little unusual. They're not creating at... chaos and taking it away, but they are holding on. Better yes. holding, better hold on to it than force this somebody is going... to give it up. I was surprised by those numbers that not one of these teams is ranked in the top 50, basically, in takeaways, which means they're not creating a lot of havoc plays. But that means it's going to be very clean football. That's what I was about to say. It's because it's so clean. If it's and clean we, football... It's working. Clearly. So, so here's what I would say, because TCU likes to, I, I love this phrase, TCU's played with its food all year. Like, it, it's like a baby that plays with its food all, all, all the time. Now, somehow they figure out how to finish the meal, some somehow, some way. Not, right. in the, not in the Big 12 championship game, but every other time. <laughs> and so if you're going to play with your food a lot and not get a lot of takeaways, uh, you're talking about intangibles. I think I, if I was gambling, I would take TCU in the points. But I think there is a different vibe around this Michigan team this year. They went into last year saying, oh, I can't believe we beat Ohio State. We're grateful to be here. And they got smoked by Georgia, who, by the way, Georgia, much better team in the trenches last year on defense than maybe this year's team. Michigan might actually be better in the trenches this year than they were last year on offense in particular. So to me, this is like, we've been here. We've done this. This is unfinished business for us. We're we're looking at the big prize. We're not we're no longer happy to be here the way you are, TCU. We're we are we are angry that we're still here. Yeah. <laughs> like I think the intangibles favor Michigan in a big way. I think Michigan's gonna play. I would if I was gambling, I would take TCU. I'm not betting on this game. I'm betting on Georgia. You but take this, TCU to cover? Probably, but this time if I if I was gambling, it's I'm not seven, touching this. Right? I'm not touching the game. But if seven you points. but this time next this episode next week. When we sit down to talk Georgia, Michigan, should those two advance? I'm, I'm, uh, you're not going to like what I have to say, Georgia fans. I, I Michigan is on some sort of like weird. I, I can't, I can't tell you. Sometimes you just get these weird feelings, and I got the weird vibes right now that that Michigan is going to play extremely well two straight games. 
I can't go. We'll see. I can't go that far, but I can go far enough to say I would be shocked if we were sitting here and it, we weren't talking about Michigan and Georgia next week. That part is true. If we're if we're talking about TCU Ohio State, cool. I will say this: if we're talking about Ohio State Michigan, everyone listening to this show will hate it, but you're all gonna watch. Yeah. You don't, well, you don't, you don't like Duke, North Carolina in the final four. And then the ratings are huge. So yeah, Michigan, Ohio well, state in the national championship game would be monstrous. I mean, if also, if you're listening to like a weekly sec football podcast, you have a problem as do we No, <laughs> go to jdun.com. <laughs> a good pro could have way worse problems, but are committed. What's that say? Got a coach better. Got to play better. That's the shirt. That's the shirt I'm wearing. You keep coming up with this random ass phrase. Got to got got to coach better. Got to play better. Um, <laughs> Future Ohio State head coach Mike Vrabel saying, "Got to coach better. Got to play better." Jeez, <laughs> I never get. I need some phrase tees. All right, we both got Georgia. I got Michigan. You got Michigan. You have to. It's so boring. I wish I could pick someone else, but no. you all go to jedun jedun dot com. Top 100 healthiest place to work in America. Please tell them we sent you and enjoy it. Have a great weekend. You got Kentucky. You got Bama. You got Tennessee and Clemson all playing in games that don't really mean anything. But I hope your favorite team wins. And have a great New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. Oh, yeah. You want my New Year's thing here real fast? What is it? It depends. Uh, okay, just do it. We're having a party with kids. Kids allowed. Okay. Not, they're not going to stay up late, but it's again, just the, tell everyone listening for the nineteen thousand time, Braden's having a gathering, and I'm not invited. So just you don't have it kids. Out there. You have to have kids. To you're call. not even in the city right now. I'm not today, dude. You're not going. to No one without kids is going to want to be at this party. Do what do y'all do to, with your friends that don't have kids? You just don't invite them. I we I don't have any. <laughs> wow. I don't know. I don't know anybody that doesn't have kids. God, <laughs> no one can break the mold. All this right, is what happens going. when you turn 40. This is what happens. Um, no, uh, uh, pajamas and jewelry. That's our that's our New Year's Eve party. What does so, it mean? So it means no belt loop. My rule, because my wife got the jewelry half of the party. She got to pick the jewelry half. She's like, I want accessories and sparklies. And I was like, okay, fine. Because the girl, my girls will love that. All the girls will love that. Like, I mean, kids, like the kids, the kiddos will love right. that. My rule was, all right, then I'm wearing comfortable freaking clothing. It better be, it better have no belt loops allowed unless it's a robe. That's it. So okay. it's, so, so it's pajamas and jewelries, no like belt, no belt loops allowed. Yep. Sweatpants, hoodies, champagne, and sparkles. There we go. Go dogs. Everyone will love that. Everyone that got invited, that is. Go dogs. You're, you're too fancy. You wear like fancy, fancy things and go to fancy places and hang out with fancy people, talk about fancy topics and okay. so fancy. Let's wrap it up jdunn.com everybody thanks for listening to your fringe element happy new year happy new year